0: Thank Kathy. Hey, uh, children, sixth grade and below, you are dismissed to go downstairs to your time of study. Hey, welcome, everyone. Glad you're here. For those who are on the marriage retreat this weekend, didn't you have a great time? Didn't you have a great time? It was an awesome time. We had uh, between 50 and 60 uh, from our church people. Um, at this marriage retreat, and it was, it was awesome. Um, sorry if you didn't get to go. You should have gone, uh, but you didn't, so sorry. Um, but it was really good, and uh, we had a wonderful, wonderful time. And I think one of the, the strongest aspects of the weekend was the fact that we were building relationships with one another. Um, someone said before church was tellin', were telling me that we need to make this happen every year. And it wasn't because of the teaching or because of uh, certain aspects of so the teaching was great. It was more about the building of relationships, spending a weekend away with each other. Um, talk to someone about the newlywed game. If you want to know more about Brad and Michelle Crawford uh, than you ever wanted to know, uh, you can uh, talk to somebody who was on the, on the retreat. But we had a great time together, and we will do it more in the future. And... It leads me into what we're talking about this four weeks, which is on uh, relationships. We started by talking about this time tomorrow, right? Talking about work. What are you going to be doing this time tomorrow, 24 hours from now, to talk about the value of work? Then we talked about this time next year, that if you're going to change your marriage, change your family, that you need to sow seeds today so that you can reap a harvest in the future. That for many of us, what we're reaping in our marriage and our family today has to do with the seeds we sowed back when, over the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And if you're going to change what your vision is for your marriage, then you need to sow seeds of righteousness today. And now we're talking about this time forever, that relationships are one of the few things we actually get to take into eternity with us. That Jesus, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love God and love people. Love God, love people. The vertical relationship of loving God is critical. And we do that through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that God doesn't call us into a, a faith where it's just me and God. That God isn't looking just for a person after his name. He's looking for a people after his name. That it is about the power of relationships, us together, us accomplishing, us showing the world that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. When God calls Moses, Moses has a litany of excuses about why he can't go and do what God is calling him to do. And God doesn't just say to Moses, I'm going to be with you, which he does. He talks about the rod in Moses' hand, you remember? But then he also says, and I'm giving you Aaron. I'm giving you people. So when God speaks to us and calls us to, to a task, many things, he doesn't call us to do it alone generally. He calls us to do it in the context of relationships. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, there's that famous passage that says, two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, the friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The answer is they, they can't uh, keep warm alone. And though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. There is power in relationship, our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, our relationship even with ourselves, and our relationship with the world around us. We talked about this last week about the the power and the foundation of relationships, that we need to make sure that our relationships are healthy, that if we have unforgiveness in our hearts, or bitterness toward one another, or we're, we're in broken relationships, it will affect our spiritual, our physical, our mental health, and that we need to really focus on healthy relationships. Today, I want to talk a little bit about why uh, the, this is such a priority, and why the potential for these relationships can make such a difference. And I want to use the letter, uh, the tiny little letter of Philemon, uh, just kind of as, as a basis for this. I, I'm, I'm hardly going to give you any background. If you want to hear a, in, an awesome sermon on this, go back to last summer when Gabriel preached uh, on the, the book of Philemon. We were doing the, the series called Big Little Letters. Uh, He was assigned the task of filing. We did a great job to talk about all the background and all the stuff that went in in the history. And I want to focus on this letter just as an example. And I know some of you have already looked at your notes and said, you know, last week he had five points. Now this week he's got six. Uh, He's just going crazy on us next week. Good news, Cheryl's preaching. She doesn't believe in more than three points, uh, so she'll be sharing with us, and so things will be back to kind of a normal. And then I'm back, and maybe I'll go with ten in a couple weeks. So, uh, but in Philemon, you have Paul uh, writing to a guy named Philemon, who is a owner and a. Ex- evidently a wealthy person. He owned slaves, and one of his slaves is runaway, Onesimus, and he's gotten saved, and he's helped Paul, and now Paul is sending this former, or this runaway slave back to Philemon, and he's he's sending it with a letter. So he's, he's sending Onesimus back, but he's got a letter that he wants him to take to Philemon, where Paul wants Philemon to receive back his... Slave, but not as a slave, as a brother. And the difference between slave and brother is the difference between life and death. And there is power in redemptive relationships. And by redemptive, I want to say this, and then I'm going to get to the points. A redemptive relationship is a a relationship, we, we know the whole idea of redemption, kind of being bought back. We've been bought back through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed in our relationship with God. We've moved from evil and error into hopefully life when we are redeemed. Redemptive relationships that are horizontal are relationships that are life-giving, that are leading people from error into truth, from failure into life, And um, not every relationship is like this, but they should be. And so what we want to talk about today is there is power in redemptive relationships, power in helping people. And this help, it's costly for us. Sometimes we don't even know if we're in a redemptive relationship or not. But our, our call is to help redeem people. Our call as followers of Jesus Christ is to grow Christ-like ourselves, but at the same time, we are to be a disciple-making people. And I believe a disciple-making people means we have relationships in which we call people out of darkness and into life. And I think there are some points that um, Paul gives us in this short little letter of Philemon. I just want to walk through it and hit some highlights of it to talk about how we can live redemptive relationships with those around us. How we can pour into them. And then in a couple weeks when I come back, I want to talk about the eternal aspect of relationships. So I'm going to hit it again. I said last week I'm going to hit it this week. or I'm going to barely touch on it again and hit it even harder because I believe these are important. First is this. A redemptive relationship involves both faith and love. A redemptive relationship involves both faith and love. And I'm including both because I think both are critical. Uh, It is not an either-or proposition. It's really an an aspect of demonstrating faith and living lives of love. Here's what uh, Paul says to Philemon in Philemon 4 and 5. And I know there's no chapter because it's only one chapter. There's only like 20-something verses in this short little book. And he says this, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, and your love for all the saints. Uh, He's saying to Philemon, you've expressed faith and love, and I've heard about it, and I give thanks for it. And I think this provides a foundation for redemptive relationships. The fact that we have faith in Jesus Christ and we express love to people beyond anything we can even work up. As I said last week, most of us know we're supposed to love. You know, we know the command, love. But really, if it comes right down to it, most of our love that we express to people around us, especially those people that require a little extra grace... Is, that, is, is, is more a loving tolerance. I know I'm not supposed to not like them, so I'll just tolerate them. And that's our expression of love, is that we tolerate people. And there's, a, there's an aspect of what does it mean to love? Go read 1 Corinthians 13. I mean, that list, we read it at weddings, but really, it's not about weddings. That, that chapter is in, a, is in a context that has to do with the body of Christ. What does it mean to love? It has to do with expressing to the world the love of God. And so we need to be a people who, who into our relationships, bring our faith in Jesus Christ, faith in people, and love them in a way that can't be explained. The second point is this, a redemptive relationship means prayerfully sharing our faith. So it's one thing for me to bring faith into the relationship, like I'm a person of faith and I'm going to love people, and it's a whole different level then to begin to share that faith with the people around. So in verse 6 of Philemon, he says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. So that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. There's a circuitous argument, so to speak, in this verse to me. He's saying, I want you to share your faith. Kind of outwardly. Why? So that you will have a full understanding. You understand? So in in my sharing of faith, it, it opens me up to a better understanding of who God is. So how do I share my faith would then be the question. He's talking to Philemon about sharing his faith in the context of the body, but I think in receiving this runaway slave back kind of an an aspect of grace that he's asking him to give him. But at the same time, I think as we look in a broader context, that we share our faith how? Well, Jesus says, by the love you have for one another, people will know you're my disciples. So within the context of the body, we... We love one another. And by loving one another, we share faith. We show to the world that we're his disciples. We, we love people not only in the church but outside the church. We share our faith by the way we live our lives. Being a people who act like Christians, so to speak. I mean, we, we act in a sanctified way in the workplace and with those around us. But at some point, we also have to speak of our faith. I mean, when it comes right down to it, people come to know Jesus Christ by the word of God. And so at some point, when we are in relationships, that that redemptive relationship, we need to prayerfully consider how should we give away our faith. How are they going to know unless someone tells them? Right? So we need to be speaking faith into the world around us. Uh, Philemon is, uh, Paul to Philemon is giving this aspect. Just think about that. When was the last time you shared your faith with someone who's not in faith? I'm not throwing this out to to make you feel guilty. I'm just asking, when was the last time you prayed in the morning, God give me the opportunity to share my faith in a valued relationship that I have? I think when we pray about it, it's amazing the doors that God opens, right? So I was laughing with Brian and Brenda Shoup. So Brian, uh, we had the marriage retreat and Brian is in the middle of baseball. I didn't ask him if I could use this illustration, but I'm doing it anyway. Uh, And Brenda, Brian said to me as we were walking along uh, yesterday, I'm only here because Brenda prayed. And I'm like, what, you didn't want to come? He goes, no, I had baseball last night, I had baseball today, and she prayed it would rain all weekend, and here we are. <laughs> so, you know, God does something when we pray. Some people say, oh, that's just a coincidence. I want to tell you, if you'll prayerfully consider how you might share your faith in those valued relationships that you have, you'll, you'll be amazed. I'm amazed at the coincidences that happen when I pray versus when I don't pray. You understand what I'm saying? It's just amazing how everything coincidentally comes together when I pray. So consider praying about how God will give you the opportunity to share your faith in those valued relationships. I think the doors will open in ways you can't even imagine. And I'm not talking about forcing your faith on someone. God will open up doors of conversation for you. Uh, I've told the story before how Um, There was a time where I was just praying, God, just give me somebody to share my faith with. I want to, I'm dying here to share my faith. And the next thing I know, I get a call from Steve and Lori Couch, who I didn't even know, who needed marriage counseling at the time. And they came in. I shared my faith, shared faith with Steve Couch, who I didn't even know. He came to know the Lord and look at the difference in not only my life, but the life of this church because of the Couch family. They basically run this place, in case you wondered. Uh, just if you call the office, you're going to get Caroline, and she's the gatekeeper for, uh, for things. So if you want to know what's going on, ask Caroline. Don't ask, don't ask me. All of that uh, to say God uses prayerful work and helps us Give the opportunity to share your faith. Don't be afraid of giving your way or faith in valued relationships. Uh, the next point is this. Uh, a redemptive re- relationship a redemptive relationship refreshes the heart. It shouldn't just be, <clears throat> I mean, I know there are, there are some life-sucking relationships. Can we just be honest? Or maybe that's more information than you want to know. But I know there are some of those out there. And, and God still calls us to those. But in a redemptive relationship, even if it's, you're using a lot of energy into that relationship, at some point, it will refresh your heart. God will use it in a way. He'll pour out his presence. He'll put his spirit in a place that it will refresh your heart. Uh, Philemon 7 says this, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brothers, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Who refreshed the hearts? They refreshed the hearts. People can refresh your heart if you'll let them, if you'll be in a relationship with them. If you become more and more isolated, actually what will happen is your heart will become duller and colder. It is hard, it is hard to start a fire, so to speak, of, of refreshment in your heart by yourself. It takes people. God uses people to refresh your heart. When we moved to Birmingham, way, way back when, I think it was 1991 was our first year when we moved here, and we didn't know why God wanted us here. I have to be totally honest. We didn't want to be here. We, but we prayed and felt like God directed us here. So out of obedience, not out of passion, we came to Birmingham. And I was on staff at um, another church, Vesavia Hills Baptist, great church. Uh, I was on staff there. Uh, it's a totally, uh, it's a wonderful church, but it has a totally different culture than what we have here at Fullness. Kathy and I were in our early 30s. We had a six-month-old baby, uh, Jared, who had been, was, he was less than six months at the time we moved here. Um, the weather looked like this, but much colder every day for the first month we were here. Um, Kathy thought she had died and gone to hell and they were just calling it Birmingham. Um, it was really, you know, we had moved, we had moved from a, a close group of friends all of our own age into a setting where people were older than we were. They were more business oriented. They were more family oriented. Uh, we moved into a house, the one we live in now. Larry and Jan um, rented that house to us for the first year. But the problem was, it's it's a kind of spacious house. I mean, if you've been in it, but we got no, we had no furniture. I mean, our den was our den was a, a, a baby swing, and uh, I had a, a chair, one of those cloth chairs that had red, Washington Redskins on it, and she had a glider rocker. That was our whole den. Everything else was empty. You know, we had shelves that used concrete blocks. was... You know the stuff you use in dorm rooms. That we're filling up rooms with just anything, and we were unbelievably lonely. I mean, and Kathy was especially lonely. And you you know the old saying: if if Mama's not happy, ain't nobody happy. And she was not. She was just lonely. Um, She's staying at home all day with a baby. She's going to a church where she doesn't really know anybody. And we started praying, God, we need friends. And I started praying, God, Kathy needs a friend. And the turning point, I'm not overstating this, the turning point, one of the turning points in our lives was when um, this young couple moved to Birmingham. Um, They... um, they were, that's Chris and Wendy Kuhn, in case you can't recognize them from uh, 100 years ago. Chris is just a shadow of his present self, but uh, it, was a, <laughs> it was a long time ago. And in that year, Chris and Wendy were in South Florida at my brother's church, and we had met them one time. I'd known Wendy a little more, but Chris I'd barely met. And they started praying about, they were, he was having to transfer and he was going to transfer with AT&T to either Atlanta or Birmingham, if I've got the story right. And he, they actually prayed about it, and God directed them to come here. Now, I'm convinced you can say God directed them for their job. I'm telling you God saved us for Birmingham by moving Chris and Wendy here. We would not have stayed in Birmingham if my wife had not met her best friend. I mean, it's that kind of thing. You understand? Because redemptive relationships do what? They refresh your heart. They, they bring life into dark places. And some of you may be in a lonely place today. And I want to encourage you to, to seek after God for relationships that will refresh your heart. Pray about him. Now, you've got a couple of options here. One is you can pray to God asking him. Or number two, you can gripe and complain. It's just me, but I found a lot more of those coincidences happen when I pray than when I gripe and complain. A lot more things happen in our hearts. And and, and Chris and Wendy moving here was just the kind of like the pebble that got pushed off the edge of the mountain, so to speak, for all of these relationships. None of this would have happened, and the relationships we have, and the friendships we have, and the lifelong ministry that God has given us with others would have never developed if it hadn't been for a refreshment from my wife's heart. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. A redemptive relationship also builds and equips. It builds and equips. By the way, I'm using all these illustrations about people in our church without asking them. So just... (laughs) They're surprised when they see their picture up. And just hang on. Yours may be up here in a minute. <laughs> so you're suddenly awake. A redemptive relationship builds and equips. Philemon 7 says this. Therefore, although in Christ, I, I'm going to turn around so I can read it. Although in Christ, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. This is his word to Philemon. He's saying, hey, as an authoritative figure, I could tell you. What you're supposed to do. But I didn't. Instead, I'm appealing to you on the basis of love. Out of relationship. I then as Paul, an old man. And now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Who became my son while I was in chains. This is the line I want you to see. Formerly he was what? Useless to you. Wait, well, he wasn't useless. He was a slave. I mean he, you know, he could do stuff. But Paul is saying I'm ramping this up to a whole different level. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and me. You see, a redemptive relationship, it it builds and uplifts. I think the point that I've got up there is not the right one above the title, but just ignore it. It it builds and equips. It builds and equips. It, 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 It helps you. How to go from useless to useful is really, I think, an important aspect. And it's in the relationships that this occurs. Last year, um, we had the privilege of traveling to uh, Israel with Rob and Shannon. And Kathy was asking Rob and Shannon about their story. How did they... You know, she knew parts of it, but she hadn't really had the opportunity. And for those of you know Rob, I just had to throw an ice cream picture in there, Rob, uh, to show this is what we did every day. We found ice cream somewhere, uh, so that Rob could get his 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 fix. I hate to say it when you know Rob and Shannon came out of a drug culture. And when they came to fullness, they were coming out of the throes of recently being arrested and I did ask them if I could share this part. So it's for those that, man, he has really been revealing here. I did text them and ask them if it was okay if I shared. So <laughs> they came out of a, a culture in which they had uh, been addicted to drugs, recently arrested. And uh, we were at uh, Shaco Springs yesterday, and Rob was pointing up the hill and said, It was up there that I came to know Jesus at a fullness men's retreat. And, um, we just talked about their journey after that. And um, Robin Chan will tell you, the, the, the preaching they heard was awesome. Uh, I'm just <laughs> kidding. But what changed their lives was not this, but this. It was the people of God who built and equipped, so to speak. They, they talk about people who prayed them. They talked about Bitsy. Uh, do you remember Bitsy? we have had Bitsy praying, coming up to Rob every week and saying, God is not going to send you to prison. I'm praying every time that God is going to keep you out of jail. I'm claiming it in the name of Jesus. Bitsy had that Pentecostal flair. Uh, she was Bitsy. She's about this tall. but And, you know, she was just a unique person. But Rob believes she prayed them out of jail. It's the relationships. I don't want to say, Robin Shannon, you went from useless to useful. Uh, but... I think they would say that. They were headed to death, and God brought them to life. And now they're leading mission trips to Israel. If you want to go, go next spring with them. On Easter, you can go to Israel and do a mission trip and see Israel. Um, You'll get details about that in the days ahead. I'm not promoing the trip. I'm just saying what God has done in their lives is unbelievable. And it's unbelievable because of the relationships they developed, not just because there was some preacher. Now, Rob will say, I want to give me a little, maybe God a little more credit, but he did say that every week I preached a sermon that just nailed him. But it wasn't really me. It was the Spirit of God talking to him, and it really was about the relationships. Christianity is in its basic nature relational it's about relationship with god and relationship with other people you cannot be i believe in isolated christian i do not believe in a monastic christianity i do not believe in an isolated christianity i know what's out there at times but i believe that in the disciple making process it takes godly people go and make disciples a redemptive relationship creates intimacy and respect. Intimacy and respect. I don't even know what number I'm on, but I'm moving right along. We're kicking it. So, a redemptive relationship creates intimacy and respect. Again, in Philemon 12 to 14, I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will uh, be spontaneous and not forced. There's an intimacy in relationship. There's a respect. He is is saying to Philemon, I respect your... I'm not forcing this on you. I, I respect your will. And at the same time, I've developed this intimate relationship, so to speak, with Onesimus, who's become like a son to me. He's useful to me. But I'm sending him back to you with the hope that this will occur. How how did this intimacy and respect come about? It comes about through the process of time together. You you don't develop relationships without time with one another. My friend uh, Dave Malik and I... um, we come from really different backgrounds. I mean, really, I mean, if you were to get us down, we we both seem incredibly intellectual, him more so than me, but um, we, we come from really different backgrounds. But we have spent, I don't know, how many years? 12 years running together? Running together at least once a week, and in that, much more often. And as a result, we've developed this close friendship um, you know, this friendship where, where I, I can share things with him. I can share my life with him. I can share the struggles that I have with him, and he can with me. So that, so that these relationships of intimacy and respect come about through time spent with one another. They don't come in isolation. If you want close friendships, let me just encourage you get off your couch turn off the television, put down the cell phone, go talk to somebody. I I don't care what it says on Facebook. Those people are not your friends. (laughs) Those people, they're not. And and by the way, I just want to say this too. You're lying to them about your life. I've seen your pictures. I've seen your comments. And I know what's going on in your life. And you're not, you're lying What you're projecting to the world is an image of what you would like for the world to think you really are. But you are not that. You need somebody in your life who can see your junk. Right? Because that's the way you're going to get, you're going to grow in the Lord. It takes, it takes intimacy and respect. Now listen, here's what I say to people. You need three different levels of people in your life. You need a Paul, you need a Barnabas, you need a Timothy kind of thing. Paul is, let's say that I'm, Paul in my life would be an authoritarian, not authoritarian, a mentor, somebody I look up to, somebody who's poured into my life, somebody who's helped me, somebody who's developed me. I need a Paul in my life. I also need a Barnabas in my life, somebody who's on the same kind of level as me, an encourager, somebody I can share all of my stuff with, who won't judge me, who will help see me forward, who will help develop me and and it that's a redemptive relationship right because I'm helping them they're helping me and everybody also needs a Timothy in their life somebody they're pouring into somebody they can help mentor so you need to look around your life and say who are the Pauls and the Timothys and the uh, Barnabases in my life that I can that I can share with now here's the key aspect the Paul and the Timothy you're not going to share all your stuff with you're not. You know, like the people that are mentoring me, I'm probably not going to share all my stuff because I want them to think good of me. I want them to think I'm coming along. So I'll share some stuff with them, but it's not going to be like the open door. You know what I mean? I might let them into like the kitchen of my life, but they're not going in the back room. You understand? and the Timothy i want them to think good of me too cuz i'm mentoring them and so i'm going to share some stuff with them in order to help bring them along oh i've had a struggle or two you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean this is the appropriate that's kind of what i do with you on sunday morning i give you some of the stuff of my life and some of you you're like thank, thanking me for being so vulnerable and i want to say to you oh sister you're only you know barely in the hallway you know you're not you don't even know what's going on in the you know what I mean there's vulnerable but acceptable vulnerable the the barnabas is in your life you, you I don't have to be the person you share everything with but there needs to be somebody in your life that you can share stuff with and I'm talking the ugly stuff the stuff that needs help and you'll know they're not going to just bail on you That they're going to help bring you along. They're going to help pray with you. And if you don't have somebody like that in your life, I want to encourage you to find them. Find them. Because those kind of relationships, they respect each other. But at the same time, there is a level of intimacy there that you need to share with someone. I'm grateful for guys like Dave in my life. I've got several people in my life who I can share, share my life with. But it's come about through time. I have elders in our church. And if you think about it, it's unbelievable. I've got elders in our church. Every single one of them has been a part of fullness for over 20 years. They know my, they know, you know, I go into an elders meeting, I start spouting off junk and they're like, yes, pastor, yes. But in their head, they're thinking, I know him. You know, I know what he's saying. They still love me and they still respect me and they still help bring me, bring me along. The final point is this, a redemptive relationship is eternally significant eternally significant. It makes, again, I got, I'm pointing to a sermon I really want to preach in a couple of weeks on uh, the eternal aspect of relationships. Uh, I'll give you just a taste of it in just a second, but we're going to talk about it more in a couple of weeks. And here's the point. He says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better. But better than a slave. As what? a dear brother. Slaves are temporary. Brothers are eternal in this sense. When you're a part of the family of God, you're bringing someone into the family of faith, and that relationship will be eternal. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. When we we have redemptive relationships, and we bring people into that sphere of a redemptive relationship, now we're bringing them into a family of faith and that that family is going to be forever. Here's the point, people. Relationships are eternal. They are. The problem is, which eternity? Jesus tells this parable, and I'm taking it out of context just a little bit, Um, but there's this parable he talks about this rich man who had everything and this poor man named Lazarus um, maybe the same Lazarus probably not maybe just name we don't know anyway Lazarus was just getting the scraps from the table of the rich man they both die Lazarus goes to heaven rich man goes to Hades the, the 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 rich man from Hades cries out to father Abraham he, he can see into heaven and he cries out hey just just let Lazarus dip a tip of his finger in the water and touch my tongue with it and relieve my suffering now I I don't want to over analyze this parable because it's Honestly, a little beyond me. It, can, can people in hell really see? Or is this even hell? Can people see into heaven? See what's going on? Is that part of the nature of their punishment? And, and anyway, he, he goes on and he says, hey, listen, he's not going to relieve your suffering. This is where you've brought. But then he says to, to, in the parable, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. He's saying, I I, I don't want my brothers here. I want them there. I want them, I want them there. Now, Father Abraham goes on and says to him, look, they've got the prophets. They've got Moses. If they didn't listen to them, they're not going to listen to Lazarus if he comes back and tells them the truth. Part of my contention is, I think they will listen to you. I do believe that valued relationships can have an eternal impact. Here's part of my point. Are you sharing your faith in that relationship? Because every person you lock eyes with when you leave this place is somebody Jesus died for. The problem is, do they know it? Who's going to tell them? If they were to die today, would they go and spend eternity with Christ as a brother or sister? Or would they be eternally separate? There are eternal impacts. Every relationship has an eternal impact. We get the opportunity right now to share. There's a story that Rick Warren tells. Uh, Rick Warren is the pastor of um, Saddleback Community Church. And he writes the following He says, my father was a minister for over 50 years, serving mostly in small, rural churches. He was a simple preacher, but he was a man with a mission. His favorite activity was taking teams of volunteers overseas to build church buildings for small congregations. In his lifetime, dad built over 150 churches around the world. In 1999, my father died of cancer. In the final week of his life, the disease kept him awake in a semi-conscious state nearly 24 hours a day. As he dreamed, he talked out loud about what he was dreaming. Sitting by his bedside, I learned a lot about my dad by just listening to his dreams. He relived one church building project after another. One night near the end, while my wife... My niece and I were by his bedside. Dad suddenly became very active and tried to get out of bed. Of course he was too weak, but my wife insisted he lay back down. But he persisted in trying to get out of bed. So my wife finally said, Jimmy, what are you trying to do? He replied this. Got to save one more for Jesus. Got to save one more for Jesus. Jesus. Got to save one more for Jesus. He began to repeat that phrase over and over and over again. And during the next hour, he said the phrase probably a hundred times, got to save one more for Jesus. As I sat by his bed with tears flowing down my cheeks, I bowed my head to thank God for my dad's faith. At that moment, dad reached out, placed his hand on my head and said, as if commissioning me, Save one more for Jesus. Save one more for Jesus. Rick Warren closes by saying this, I intend for that to be the theme of the rest of my life. And then he invites us to consider that theme as well. You know, the truth, people, is we live in a very self-centered age. In which our entire thought process has to do with me and the universe. We've got to get ours. Read every article in the front page of today's newspaper. And it's going to be about somebody either trying to assert their rights. Or someone demanding their rights. Or someone accusing someone else of stealing their rights from them. At every level. Instead, our call is not to demand our own rights, but to serve, to give away our lives in relationship to others so that we can make a difference for all eternity. How are your relationships working right now? How's your relational health? I want to encourage you with these points that we've gone through this morning that a redemptive relationship, it involves both faith and love. And it means prayerfully sharing that faith because these redemptive relationships refresh others' hearts and ours as well. They build and equip and they create intimacy and life-giving to others because all of this builds on itself so that it has an eternal impact in the world around us. This morning, you may be here, and you would say, Pastor, I need need to pray about a couple of my relationships. I want them to be redemptive, or I'm in a broken relationship, or something else is going on, and I I really would like someone to pray with me about healing relationships, healing relationship with your parents, your, your sons or your daughters, maybe your spouse, Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coworker. maybe it's even someone in this body. Whatever the case may be, this is a place of safety, I believe, where you can receive prayer. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. And I'm going to ask our ministry teams to spread out across the front and the sides, maybe even the back. And just to, to if you need prayer about a specific relationship or you know there's someone in your life who needs uh, to hear about Jesus and you want to prayerfully pray for them right now with somebody else, just come. The, the worship team is going to lead us in a song as we pray for you and pray for these others. So come, let me pray for us. Lord, I pray right now that Holy Spirit, you would direct our path. You would direct our time, that you'd give us wisdom as we look to the relationships around us. That God, we would have a holistic, godly perspective on relationships. That it's not just about what we get from relationships, it's what we get to pour into our relationships. God, forgive us for our self-centeredness. Forgive us for our selfishness. Lord, forgive us where we've taken up offense. Lord, forgive us where even even if somebody did something against us, that, God, we've held it against them, that we haven't trusted them, that we've lacked in life with them. Break through, Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, Spirit of life, Spirit of freedom, come and rule and reign in our hearts and our lives today. May we see the truth that every re- relationship that we're in right now has, the, has eternal impact. It's not just for the moment. It's not just for the week or year or decade. It's, it's got the potential for all eternity. Open our eyes to see you. If you need prayer right now, just come and allow one of these teams to pray with you while our team leads us. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. You were worthy of all.